0: Good morning from Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday. We are live here on Dufourstrasse. Uh, coming up over the next 60 minutes, my guest today, Florian Egli, Also, Dimita Prasel is here uh, from the NZZ. Of course, our very own Georgina Godwin as well. Uh, Florian, you've got the paper open there. I think it is the NZZ as well. What's caught your eye this morning?
1: It's the NZZ. So um, we're going to be talking about the climate conference ongoing in Dubai, about department stores and bike lanes in Zurich,
0: perhaps also West Africa if we have the time. We'll find some time also. We're going to hear from our editor-in-chief in in London, Andrew Tuck, and we'll get a chance, of course, to speak to some of our stallholders because it is indeed our Christmas market here in Zurich as well. If you're in the neighbourhood across the border in Germany, uh, down in Italy, uh, you've got a few hours to, of course, catch things. It's the 3rd of December, 2023, live from Zurich This is Monocle on Sunday.
2: Live from Zurich, this is Monocle on Sunday with Tyler Brulé.
0: And good morning from the snowiest Zurich I have ever, ever seen. It is absolutely gorgeous. This morning, the sun has finally come out. It, uh, I think it snowed for 24 hours. Uh, just, uh, of course, for your arrival, Georgina, and I'm happy to say also this is one of those editions of uh, Monocle on Sunday, which is well, semi-co-anchored uh, between uh, Zurich and London. Andrew Tuck is going to be joining us in a moment, but uh, you're here with the news, with everything else today. And of course, you were holding down the fort yesterday, speaking to stallholders, uh, but now we're in day two of the market.
2: Day two, which I'm really looking forward to because I didn't get around everyone yesterday. Uh, And there's one particular store that I'm really keen to speak to. They make vegan um, dog vitamins.
0: And is this going to play a role in in your, there is a hound in your life. There is
2: a hound in my life. She's very beautiful. She's called Bella. She's a springer spaniel and she has very bad arthritis. So they do a, a product called Happy Hips. Um, and I think I think Bella might benefit from that. <laughs> uh, well,
0: yeah. I, I listen. I think the phone is going to be ringing, or at least inbox is full. Uh, we can hear a little bit more about them later on. I think there's also well, there's, there's there's quite a few stories as well. I don't know if you saw this. It was I think it was in the Wall Street Journal a bit earlier in the week about uh, you know, really a, a lot of uh, pharma companies are really looking at sort of longevity for dogs at the moment because they say that dogs uh, are closest to humans in terms of lifestyle mm. because they're you know living under the same roof often indulging in the same uh, lifestyle habits as, as well.
2: And there's a, there's a big movement for something they're calling One Medicine, which is that there's a lot of uh, pharmaceutical products which should be suitable for both animals and humans. Uh, and, for instance, there's a miracle drug for, for for dogs with arthritis. I do not see why humans can't take that. I mean, maybe they'd
0: start... Woofing. <laughs> I know. Well, let's, well, Andrew's going to have a view on that uh, in a moment as well. Also, uh, Demita Pressel here this morning. Good morning. Very nice to see you. Good morning. Uh, now, you're a newish voice. I think this is the second appearance uh, here on uh, Monocle on Sunday, but you work down the street uh, at the Neuzeitung NZZ on uh, the video team. What does a day in the life of Demita look like in the newsroom?
3: Um, you know, we cover. Current affairs, mostly um, everything from I'm working on a piece on bricks. My colleague is working on a piece on anti-Semitism. We try and um, get our knowledge, work very closely with experts and our um, specialized journalists that we have and get their expertise on the topics. And then we sort of try and do what Vox is doing, what um, the Wall Street Journal is doing and, and, you know, make these explainer pieces that catch a somewhat younger audience. Um, you know, very young people are now on TikTok, so they're they're less on. They're they're watching YouTube videos um, less, I think. But um, you know, try and catch a youngish audience and give them an overview of what's happening in the world in a, in an accessible kind of way.
0: Very good. Uh, also, Florian Egli uh, is here this morning from uh, Foros, the the think tank. Good morning. Nice to see you. Good morning, Tyler. You have promised us a few headlines. so we don't need to jump into those uh, right away. Uh, maybe you can sort of do the weather report for us. How are you feeling about the sunshine out after I believe it's like been three weeks of rain here in Zurich?
1: Yeah. I'm Feeling great, and so so Zurich um, woke up to the slight bemusement of our of our northerly neighbours um, in Bavaria, where everything basically stopped yesterday because of the snow. So the airports were closed, trains to Germany basically stopped at the border. So trains to Munich stopped at Sankt-Margaretten, trains to Stuttgart stopped at Schaffhausen. Um, so Switzerland seems to be um, getting along, and and we like the snow. I went for a run um, in the snowy forest yesterday. Met some um, ski tourers. Um, so, I mean, it's really it's really winter wonderland at the moment here, and and am um, quite excited about it.
0: And also, this makes... It, well, you must be very excited as well, because you're, you're heading off. You're moving to Munich soon, so to the land where nothing works in snow.
1: Exactly. So I have to really, you know, Enjoy <laughs> make, it while make you can. most of it while, while things work.
0: <laughs> also, uh, Andrew Tuck, our editor, um, is uh, in London for us uh, this morning. Andrew, you can sort of... Everyone sounds rather giddy here with the snow. It is like sort of a young pup uh, being let out the front door. Uh, it's, like, it's almost like it's never snowed in this country, but... Uh, Good morning.
4: Good morning Tyler. Well, on on Friday there was about 11 seconds when about 12 snowflakes fell on London and I did see people rushing outside to their their stores and their offices to
0: take uh, uh, Instagram pictures of it. So we, we can't even cope with 12 flakes. So you you're doing very well there. Andrew, let's uh, rewind uh, maybe one or two minutes ago. Georgina was talking about this world of one drug. Um I, do you have happy hips this morning? <laughs> Very
4: happy hips this morning My hips are here There are many things that are failing Tyler But oddly my hips are still, still moving in quite a good direction
0: Well and, I, listen I mean, Georgina jump in on this one Of course listeners you, you will know that uh, of course uh, Andrew also uh, a keen dog owner uh, as well This idea of this sort of you know one drug Do you, Andrew, do you like the idea of, of Macy sort of dipping a paw in, uh, in Into sort of the, the, uh, the, the, the bottle of capsules in the morning And then you joining her as well
4: well, let's just say that, that I think um, Georgina will attest to this as well. Once you get a dog in the UK, it t- tends to be that your dog has better health insurance, better healthcare access than you do. The, the, the vet is always available in about two seconds notice. Uh, and uh, so a dog is already on a probiotic that she has with her breakfast, just to make sure that the enzymes in her tummy are working perfectly. I don't even bother having a, having a probiotic myself.
2: I mean that's exactly what I was talking about, and there's a stallholder here that has all sorts of vitamins that Macy would love. Um, you know, things for um, if she has tummy problems at all, and this can can, can sort of sort, sort out her gut. There's one for her bones. There's there's one for a, for a dog that gets easily annoyed. I think.
0: Oh God! I mean, uh, Andrew, do you think we could actually sort of slip that into maybe the, the coffee a few <laughs> uh, for a couple please. of colleagues as well? What do you think? Uh,
4: I think there's quite a few who could need it. But I would just say there was a good story this week, because you should tell your storeholder this, that in the UK, apparently, a quarter of people who own a dog or a cat are spending as much on gifts for their pets as they are for their children.
0: How about that? That's that's, that's that's not about it. and listen I, I think that um yeah macy would be w- would be well indulged um at, at the market uh, as well and we don't need the weather forecast. well how is the weather in london this morning everyone's dying to know uh it's, it's a bit gray and miserable but yesterday was sunny so it was fine okay and you're gonna uh, chase we're going you're gonna chase it away all all this week uh because of course it is market weekend uh in london from uh, from next saturday Yes. And uh,
4: as long as it isn't rattling with wind, it's, it's the, the coziest place to uh, be in London. So do come along. So we're there all day Saturday. It's open all day Sunday as well. There'll be Father Christmas. There'll be all the, the treats that we normally line up for you. But it just is a great opportunity also just to meet all of the team from Monocle because we'll all be there. The editors like meeting the readers, like meeting the listeners, and of course, live radio, uh, usually outdoors, fresco as well. So, I'm sure Georgina will be putting on a, a nice knitted winter bloomers to make sure that she's
0: wrapped up for the day,
2: <laughs> and my nice new hat. But, uh,
0: yeah, yeah. There's, there's Andrew. There's a, there's a new, um, a new fedora. Uh, we'll make a premiere uh, next week oh, at, at House. I'm looking forward to seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Andrew, if we were to, um, yeah, flip open the front pages uh, or screens uh, in. Uh, the UK this morning. What's making news?
4: Well, you can you can pick your car crash for uh, Mr. Sunak. So, uh, what's happened with uh, our friend Mr. Mitsotakis uh, in Athens? Everyone feels that the, the Sunak snub of deciding not to meet him while he was in London, because Mitsotakis had spoken about the desire for the Parthenon uh, Marbles, or uh, to be returned, or as we call them in the UK the Elgin Marbles, to be returned to, to Athens. And there'd been apparently um, a gentleman's agreement that it would not be discussed prior to any meeting, and even at the meeting that wasn't to be the, the key focus. Anyway, so they, they, they cancelled the meeting, they offered the Deputy Prime Minister to Mr. Mr Mitsotakis, and lo and behold, it's kind of blown up, to doing a big story, all in Greece's favour. because. Lo and behold, a cop up rocks uh, uh, King Charles III wearing a tie which which has the Greek flag on it multiple times, so that's taken as tacit support from him. But also just the the poll numbers this morning are disastrous. And writing in the Daily Telegraph today, there's Keir Starmer, and he's gone full out to woo Tory voters, praising the the delivery of change that Margaret Thatcher brought to the country, which is pretty staggering for a man who was, was backing Corbyn not so long ago. So all over the press, everybody is, is doom and gloom about what's going to happen to Sunak and his, his intention of voting, 25% of people people say they would still vote Tory, 45% are already declaring for Labour. So he's got a, he's got a very, very difficult position
0: to look at going into Christmas. And if we went to the maybe the other end uh, of the the newsstand or the kiosk as well, um, I guess the other story, which is also it is a bit of a car crash too, um, of course, uh, is uh, the the new Omid Scobie book, which is out, which seems to sort of dominate every morning show uh, and, and is certainly occupying uh, plenty of time and uh, and, and space uh, with all of the red top papers.
4: With all the red top papers, but uh, it's strange when you. you this has been aired for so long, and nobody believes Mr. Scobie. So, it, what's happened, I think, is that the, the the newspapers have all kind of looked at the book, even those on the left who may not be royal supporters, and have dismissed uh, much of the the claims that many of the claims that he's, he's made, and have have doubted the credence of his sources, and also the fact that he 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 says he has. Obviously, no direct contact with the Sussexes, but obviously with all of their friends as well. so I would say that the if you were if you were William and uh, this morning looking at, at the the newspapers, you wouldn't be too worried about what the accusations leveled at your wife or at your father. You would think that actually the monarchy was pretty stable, and yeah. actually
0: I, 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 I don't think that I think the story had almost played out before it hit. Indeed, and I think it's also one which I think where we've had other stories coming from Buckingham Palace. It's it, it's not sort of you know story one, two, or three in Blick this morning, or Bill Zeitung, or elsewhere in in the continental uh, tabloids as well. I just want to bring Andrew. I just want to bring Georgina in on this because Georgina, you're dealing with book publicists all the time. You're dealing uh, with the world of, of of big publishing. Of course, we had this you know, leak uh, in in the Netherlands with names uh, named uh, etc. But looking at it from a PR point of view. Um, what's the Georgina Godwin take well, on all of this I mean
2: great news for Scobie. he's got the front pages and his book will will sell and sell and sell I'm sure I mean there are there's a certain group of people that will always buy anything about the Royals and the rest of us I mean for me it kind of gives me hives I don't want to I don't want to have a look at a book like that the kind of trivialization of these these lives of people I mean I'm, I'm not a monarchist and I, I feel that uh, they're not giving a, an enormous amount to us Apart from their entertainment value, so mm. great if people if people want to be entertained by this kind of royal soap opera, uh, then fine. But in terms of publishing, I mean, obviously Scobie's utterly dismissed. He's not a literary figure. Uh, this is a this is a tabloid journalist who's kind of just writing and then and then and then. Uh, there's no kind of uh, uh, literary merit to it. But, what a coup in terms of publicity.
0: Indeed. Uh, I want to just stay in the world of publishing, Andrew. You touched on the Daily Telegraph for a moment. Now, this is another story which is um, also popping up in a variety of corners, uh, the, the Daily Telegraph, uh, on, on the sales block uh, right now. And you can look at, actually, papers, uh, indeed, uh, you know, beyond the UK, US as well, um, that uh, there is a consortium, uh, Abu Dhabi-backed, uh, which is looking uh, at, at, of course, uh, purchasing the, the newspaper. Um, and now we have a lot of calls... Um, about uh, maybe the, at the extreme side issues of national security uh but of course the the defining component is 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 freedom of the press and and what is going to to happen and i'm wondering if there's also uh, andrew maybe a broader conversation which is in the trades and and if you're looking at the likes of uk press gazette etc what is being said about this you know hooray that at least someone is going to to rescue the paper um and let's see what happens uh or is is really sort of you know the the defining component of this uh one of free press, um, and, and I think I saw a headline in, in one of the UK papers this morning saying, "You know, this is being, uh, you know, bought by a country which, uh, you know, fundamentally uh, finds freedom of speech a, a threat."
4: Well, it's a, a complicated story. So, first of all, we know that here in the UK we have a, another newspaper, The Independent, that uh, is owned by the son of a former KGB spy. And his father. Nobody seemed to be. There was some thing, but nobody certainly stopped that going through. And it's believed now that his their their other investor is is the Saudi royal family. Uh, so it's interesting that the Telegraph didn't get too worked up about that then. And then the, the there's been the rolling out of all the big guns, the former editors Charles Moore and the like from the Telegraph to say that. If it falls into the hands of Abu Dhabi and via this this funding mechanism, it's essentially being nationalised by Abu Dhabi and will be run by Abu Dhabi. I think there there are some definitely some questions to be asked, and, and of course an independent media that is is solely owned by your your own nationals is probably an easier way to go. But in the past, you, Abu Dhabi had money in the FT and didn't interfere. Uh, and in fact, the FT's uh, former editor Lionel Barber has spoken out and said, "Look, he has no 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 skin in this game, but he finds that actually some of the the, the shrillness about what's being said uh, laughable and 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 not likely to pass because he thinks it is an investment and they will step back." And you have to remember also that there are some other big guns, you know, the, the likes of Murdoch wanted to get The Spectator, which is also owned by The Telegraph. So it's in the interest of the other papers as well to kind of make this seem like a, a really dangerous thing to do. But every day the Telegraph is saying you know, that Abu Dhabi is a country that doesn't respect you know, the rights of women and so it shouldn't be allowed to own the paper, that Abu Dhabi doesn't allow media freedom. I think all those things are genuine concerns and it's right that the Culture sector is now pulling in this decision, is going to look at it and and make a decision. But I think we have to have a rule that fits all of the media landscape, rather than just saying in this one issue, because you know it's a, a Tory government and a Tory uh, backing paper that we're going to look at and look at this deal and scrutinise it more than any other.
0: Andrew, just uh, we haven't spent time on this, at least uh, not across microphones. You just came back, you were were, um, in Saudi, Uh, you were in the Gulf. Um, Is there a component to all of this as well? We know there's some some fundamental issues which need to be addressed, but also it's a lot of armchair comment uh, as well, it seems, for people who maybe have not been on the ground. People have their own assumptions about uh, what's happening in Riyadh, what's happening in Abu Dhabi and and elsewhere. Uh, But it seems also there is... A little bit seeing is is believing, uh, and also rate of change as well.
4: Well, it, when we were in, we we went to Abu Dhabi and uh, we asked for certain government meetings, and we we had you know meetings with people in the very top of government, women, and you went to the office, and their deputies were women as well. So I think this idea, this charge that Abu Dhabi doesn't allow women to rise to the the, the, the tops of their top echelons of their their, their um their government is un, is untrue it, it's it's royal backed it's more of a family concern than a, a pure democracy and we we know that but i think that when you go there you know, i'd never been to saudi arabia before and i went with with uh, certain preconceptions which i enjoyed having challenged quite a lot and and the challenge is is that you know no matter what you think about the the extravagance of some of these projects such as neom or the concerns about what's happened to press freedom there you also have to judge what happens to a younger generation of people especially young women who you meet again and again and again who are just clamoring for the change that is is happening at such a rapid pace in their country so we met with women who six seven years ago weren't allowed to drive now not only do they drive they are they're the heads of organizations and they're doing jobs that it was impossible to do a few years ago so I came away with a a kind of I think uh, a challenge to myself to think how do you push forward and support people who are desperate for change and not turn off the taps but while at the same time keeping your critical faculties and pointing out the things that you don't think are such a good idea.
0: Florian I want to bring you in you were just nodding on the telegraph point I mean would there be a similar uh, outcry if uh, yeah you know we can look at any number of 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 institution, media institutions on the continent uh, here in Switzerland uh, as well. If, um, yeah, if, if suddenly uh, Ta Media or I mean, the NZZ uh, had uh, new backers from the Gulf, uh, would there be also similar charges? Uh, and as Andrew said, harumphing around this as well. <laughs> I think so,
1: yes. And we've also witnessed quite a bit of consolidation in the, particularly newspaper, but also broader media space in Switzerland. And I think sometimes it strikes me how, how seemingly negligent we are in the west about these drivers and and now we're kind of waking up a little bit and kind of start to ask these questions and now by no means i say you know only this one deal telegraph in abu dhabi needs to be scrutinized but it, overall i mean then we we're kind of waking up after after 10 years of of these of these uh these um um kind of schemes and also more broadly in social media of course where a lot of a lot of Autocracies, a lot of countries around the world spend significant amounts of money, you know, to have a say in our media landscape. And and we've just been kind of throttling along and saying, Well, well, you know, it's it's free markets and I think that, that comes back at democracies and I think, you know, some oversight is really warranted. Now, not just on that deals, but I think a more broadly kind of what kind of legal forms do we need that separate ownership from control, all of these things. Um, I think that's a debate really urgently needs to happen.
0: Yeah, I mean Andrew, uh, we were just talking before we went on air about and, and to be able to bring you in on this, you know, here you've got you know, so many news organizations of course wanting to be on TikTok right now, but you know, where's the ownership of TikTok uh, as well and there doesn't seem to be a lot of a lot of scrutiny around around that, but maybe before we get to that, I mean, your take on, uh, yeah, again, you know, we see sort of, you know, and listen, you know, musical chairs in terms of ownership all, all over the world, because, of course, the domain of newspapers often where were the families uh, in the very cities where those papers are based, your paper very much like that in many ways.
3: I think we've seen with, um, with Russia today, for example, that what, what can happen when the West or the democratic world underestimates, um, not only the power that having control over media can have over shaping the discourse, the public discourse, but also how much autocratic, non-democratic forces, um, might be able to achieve with, with more control over our media, um, landscape. So I think we, sh- The democratic liberal world should be careful not to make that mistake again. And I mean, um, speaking about Abu Dhabi, you know, it's a whether it's warranted or not, it is a credibility issue. And we're seeing it with COP28, where simply the fact that it was that it's happening in Dubai um, is posing a credibility issue for the conference. Right. So there is a skepticism there, I believe, probably warranted since these are states and, and that do not share our um values when it comes to democracy freedom of speech liberalism what specifically will come out, out of any one deal we don't know but i believe like a certain amount of skepticism probably is healthy there.
0: Andrew, just you were in, uh, of course, uh, in the UAE, just, of course, literally uh, in the run up to all of us, the bunting must have been going up, uh, etc. What was what was sort of the sense? Um, and from a UAE side as well, that, you know, was there this degree of like, listen, we have to sort of, you know, we have to put on the show, of course, but also I think what the narrative was going to be around COP um, as well, knowing that there is a, a degree of global skepticism. I mean, not to mention as well, I mean, let, let's face it, it was in Sharm el-Sheikh last year, um, and, you know, not hugely different. Um, if you want to uh, you know, put a regime on watch as well.
4: Well, Tyler, there's lots of interesting things here. So first of all, again, let, 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 let's look at what's happening on the ground and the kind of people you meet. I went out to the, the venue for COP, which is where the expo was was before. And actually the, the buildings they put up for expo, many of them still there, they, they thought about their future use. They've planted trees. It, it's actually a very nice, sustainable little community that's, that's now turning over to housing. Next to it is all the set up for COP. So this is the the genius experts who have flown in from London and Paris and around the world to show Dubai how it's really done. Okay, there's a massive, massive exhibition centre that has been erected. And I said to the, the, the organisers on, uh, on the, the Dubai side, I said... It, what happens to this after COP's finished and they said we're sick of, it's actually all going to be thrown away because they didn't ask our advice we know how to build these things and they said you go out the back and you look at all the things that, that COP have built for the exhibition halls it's just lined up with air conditioning units they've done no shading they've not done any of the things that we know he- here in Dubai how to do and you're right, maybe Dubai doesn't have the same liberal values as us, but they do know that in the summer it's now often 50 degrees, and that actually if they want to double the population size, they're 4 million now, they want to have 8 million people uh, living in Dubai in the next decade plus. That to do that, they have to do something about climate change. So I, I would say that, y- yes, you know, maybe dealing with a, an oil minister isn't the ideal thing, but actually when you look at the people you meet and the things that they're trying to do... It's not, it's not a game for them. They know that for, the, the, for their lives, for the sustainability of living in the Gulf, something has to be done. So I, in fact, found many people, as you say, you know, really keen for change. And just one last thing. You make a very good point, Tyler. I was having a discussion today. Look at the relationships between Canada and India at the moment because apparently somebody was, uh, was, was, was killed on government orders, allegedly. There's another story that's erupted similar about things today. You can cross off a lot of countries and never to deal with and never to ha- allow, have any access to these conferences. D- does India, do all Indians and all Pakistanis and all Bangladeshis share exactly our values? But should they be at the climate change discussions? Should they be leading some of these
0: charges? I think yes. Florian, um, a global gathering uh, like this, uh, you know, and, and with all of the the aspects of, of people, of course, flying in commercially, private jets, as Andrew saying as well, um, you, know, uh, you know, a massive city being erected uh, that ends up in the dumpster. Um, relevant, uh, you know, if, if I'm just a viewer at home watching ZDF or ABC in Australia, uh, do I sort of, uh, yeah, sort of wrinkle my nose a little bit at all of this?
1: Yeah, yeah, just um, just before that, when quickly going back to to Andrew, I think there's a big difference between you know um, talking to everybody. I'm am a huge advocate of that. Like I think we should convene. I'm, I'm I'm entirely happy to convene in Dubai, for a matter of fact, on climate topics. Um, and you know, being clear about interference, I think these are two very different things. Um, and that, and by no means, I would say being clear on interference, um, you know, impedes you from actually opening doors and having these conversations. Um, now. Um, you know, is it is it useful? Does it make sense? I think um, that these these climate conferences. I was in Sharm El last year. I've been to many of those before, um, not not this year um, for organisational reasons. Um, but but I think they're necessary. But they have become a bit of a circus. So if you go there, I think um, last year in Sharm El there were about thirty five thousand people. Now it's about seventy thousand. Um, and so I mean, naturally, that is not. You know, the number of people that is required to reach any sort of deal um, um, on climate issues. Um, So I think we need these um, and we we really need um, progress, but I also think um, that they've become somewhat too big and somewhat kind of a, a fair, where you know, every organization launches yet another report and, and tries to, you know, pick the attention um, of the audience. And I think it's, it's, become, it's become too big and too noisy. And I think that would be my main criticism rather than the location. In fact, Dubai is actually quite good because it's very reachable.
0: And in terms of emissions, it's actually much better than many other locations. Florian, um, thank you for that. Andrew, I want to come back to you in, in one moment uh, because uh, we're going to sort of shift gears a little bit. It's it's still sort of the topic of of ownership. It's a little bit about sovereignty as well to me as it has a very good story for us, which is the sort of unraveling of Cigna, a massive property group uh, here. And uh, Selfridges, of course, is involved. Uh, but we want to go to Georgina with the news headlines first.
2: One person died and two others were injured after a man attacked tourists in central Paris near the Eiffel Tower. Police quickly arrested the 26 year old man, a French national, using a taser stun gun. The suspect was on the French security services watch list and was known for having psychiatric disorders. Evacuations are underway in the Philippines after a quake of at least magnitude 7.5 struck the southern region on Saturday night, triggering tsunami warnings in the country and in Japan, though a US agency said the risk of large waves has now passed. And the world's oldest living land animal, a tortoise named Jonathan, is now 191. It's unclear when the tortoise was born, but according to estimates, the reptile was at least 50 when he was brought from the Seychelles to the island of St Helena in 1882. Jonathan is showing no signs of slowing down, according to his longtime vet. In spite of losing his sense of smell and being virtually blind from cataracts, his appetite remains keen. Back to you, Tyler.
0: Thanks, Georgina. Do you think um, maybe if we went down to the, uh, the 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 animal kibble factory in in the basement below, they might have something for him?
2: For happy hips for turtles. Yeah. but you know what really strikes me about that story is that they say that he's lost his sense of smell. How do they know?
0: Yeah, well, this this is Andrew. Um, <laughs> Andrew, do, do turtle do, do tortoises have hips? I guess so. They must. Yeah, do you think? I don't know. I guess they're just tucked under the, the bustle of their shell, but yes, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's always one to ponder this afternoon. Okay, Andrew, there's, st- there's a story here which, of course, um, and, and maybe there's there's already a happy ending to it uh, in, uh, certainly just around the corner from where you are, uh, which concerns uh, Selfridges, uh, of course, uh, the UK-based uh, department store. Um, but part of the story also uh, starts here, a little bit over across the border, um, and that is with uh, the, the Cigna Group, uh, which uh, was, was founded uh, by, by Rennie Benko. So here we we have a very large uh, property conglomerate unraveling. Uh, they've done, of course, a series of deals across Europe, uh, where they've uh, they've they've joined forces uh, with the with the central uh, retail group out of Thailand. In um, some markets, Central uh, owns the department stores outright. But of course, they've you know these, this is Selfridges in London, a prime piece of property prime piece of real estate, uh, which of course, if you are, if that is your sector, uh, you want to have a hand in all of that. So I guess, Andrew, it's interesting, in the UK, they, they've managed to do a deal now. Um, they've, they've financed uh, Selfridges, kind of rescued. Um, maybe just, uh, we've had weather report, retail report, uh, if you've been sort of out and about. Um, yeah, are, are cash registers ringing along with Christmas bells uh, already? Do you, do you have that sort of momentum, especially at that end of Oxford Street?
4: Well, obviously, Oxford Street has, has not had a, a very glorious few years since the pandemic. But that end of Oxford Street has always been anchored by Selfridges, and is, is a magnet for for many people still when they come to London who want to go and see see the store because it's quite good at doing colourful, immediate expensive fashion so if you want the bigger luxury brands it, it's a kind of one-stop shop and certainly for we're talking about the gulf many emiratis many saudis w- w- would go there because it's close to where many of the restaurants and things that serve that community on the etre road for example but also in the past huge numbers of chinese tourists which is who, who are still mostly absent from from the, the streets of london I would say that London you know, is it, it's, it, it's, it's hard to read. If you go down Regent Street, it, it's rammed at the moment. If you go into many of the kind of the neighborhood areas, it, it is busy. But just the, the number of people who are not back in offices, still the number of people who are pressed by the, the cost of living crisis here in the UK, I think that everybody is a little bit wary about what the Christmas revenue will be for all of these stores. Plus, we we've we've so got involved in this this you know these black friday deals and all, all of these discount sales that i think that many of the stores went so overboard this year it'll be interesting to know whether actually that has already taken some of the heat out of the the christmas rush so i think that people are nervous the, the, the city feels busy and vibrant and that actually, it feels like the best decorated it's been for me- for many years. It feels very, very Christmassy. But I think that stores are holding their breath to see whether people have uh, money in their pockets.
0: And I'm going to let you go and pack because I believe I'm seeing you. If I don't see you in Paris uh, later today, I'll definitely be seeing you uh, bright and early uh, tomorrow morning. That was our editor-in-chief, Andrew Tuck. So So, this uh, this is a story which now is playing out here in Switzerland um, and, and, and elsewhere in Europe as well. I mean, even you would say almost more so across the border um, in Germany because Cigna involved with Central. Uh, it, it's sort of amazing. You know, we can talk about newspapers on one side, but also people are so you know, at a time when everyone's sort of saying, oh, does the department store have a future? Uh, people are, are, you know, are, are are so passionate and very patriotic about it. So we've had, of course, your newspaper, many other newspapers saying, okay, what is the future of Globus going to be? Which is, you could say, if there is a newspaper of record, it's sort of the department store of record here in this country. And then question marks around KDV um, and, and and all of the big department stores in, in Germany. Maybe first, um, what what are the papers sort of saying about this right now?
3: Well, in Austria, the story is not so much about department stories than it is about René Benko. So I moved to Switzerland from Austria one and a half years ago, and one of the big differences I've noticed is that whenever the country comes up in international news and headlines, for Switzerland, it's usually good headlines, positive headlines. Um, for Austria, it tends not to be so much. And um, René Benko is actually, before the news sort of went global um, and, and had these far-reaching implications, There were stories about René Benko throughout the years, and he was a very controversial semi-public figure, I would say, in Austria for years. So he's known for being very close to politics, His name was mentioned in the very infamous viral video that uh, featuring the former vice president of Austria, who made some incriminating claims about corruption in politics and who in that video also claimed that Benko was one of the billionaires actually uh, paying political parties through through weird uh, constructions sort of illegally um and and under the under the radar to influence politics so he's he was found guilty in a case of attempted bribery he's known for being very close to politics he he's also you know I mean he was born in Tyrol he's one of the few billionaires in Austria who really self-made um as a real estate tycoon so I think a lot of people admire him but I think a lot of people in Austria are also not too sad about the headlines that they're reading now because he was sort of always in the media appeared as sort of a shady figure with mm. doing shady business deals where nobody really knew what was going on exactly.
0: Florian, are you surprised in this era of globalization, uh, where there's just, you know, so much ownership uh, with, you know, and and of course, cross shareholdings, all kinds of things that, you know, look at it in the Swiss context, or whether you're sitting in Berlin and thinking about KDV, that people really are still so passionate about, you know, who owns these stores?
1: Yeah, they seem to be and and in switzerland i mean we've seen so so globus the the main the main store is at Bahnhofstrasse, right kind of the 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 main kind of uh, i would say fancy um shopping street of zurich and and we've seen that over the past 20 years that Bahnhofstrasse used to be a street with local shops right and it's become more and more international with all these brands now lined up um and i think you know people have always been quite vocal about it and then it changed and then everybody forgot it so
0: it's a bit like the newspaper story as well.
1: It is, right? So I think my suspicion would be it's it's pretty similar with Globus. I would say like it's probably a bit of a, a spark now. And then um, if it happens and the deal is closed, then people would just get on about it.
3: I think though specifically the reason that people care about department stores is not so much because you contrasted it with online shopping but department stores are not just about purchasing things it's about the experience right you go there you try stuff out you sort of it's more of a yeah it's more of an experience and I think that might be the emotional link that people still have in this day and age to department stores
0: Well I think also you're pointing out as well that they that these they, they in this in this context at least it it still feels local uh, as well even though globus is full of yeah, I mean, you know, mostly international brands, it, it'd be probably hard pressed, maybe you went to the underwear department, uh, you might find some, you know, some Kalita underpants, which are, of course, probably made in Hungary or, 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 or Portugal or somewhere else. But at least it has a sense of a sense of Switzerland where everything else is, uh, is completely multinational or, or, or major luxury brands. You know,
1: as, as soon as, um, as long as, as they still um, sell Swiss cheese downstairs, I'm, I'm happy. You're going to be happy the with that? The globe delicatessen. delicatessen.
0: Georgina, <laughs> I mean, again, do you, do you think that, um, I mean, going back to what Andrew was saying, uh, you know, Selfridges, you know, it's had Canadian ownership and now has Thai ownership. Uh, do you know, does does the consumer ultimately care? Do you think in the UK, or just as long as like the windows look good and there's, yeah, they'll be they'll be well. I mean, I don't know. If people go to Selfridges for the discounts. I mean, may, maybe they do. Um, you know, come the back end of the season. But. I
2: I really don't think people care at all. But but actually, it's funny because there's there's something that pulls all of these things together. We were talking about Omid Scobie and his his book, and that is, of course, Harrods, uh, which was owned by Mohammed Al Fayed, the Egyptian, for for years and years and. Years years uh, and kind of jostling to try and get that royal connection through his son and all the rest of it. And I think there was a bit of a backlash against Harrods, this quintessential British store being owned by an Egyptian. After a while, he just became a kind of rather figure of fun and nobody cared. They still flock to the shop.
0: Yeah. And and then, I mean, you've got uh, Harvey Nichols, Hong Kong owned, uh, and then you go back to Harrods. I mean, it's owned by the Qataris now, right? Sorry yeah, and
1: it. I think I think as, as long as these as these stores and brands essentially it's brand management right um, so they they're able to charge a margin because of of the experience because of the brand and I think as long as that's well managed essentially I, I would fully agree with you Georgina people probably don't care so much who owns it like mm. it's it's more about the management and as long as they like you know if you imagine in Zurich if, if Globus um, you know still exists in ten years people will be happy no matter whether ownership is in Thailand you know in Amsterdam or in the u s
2: mm. I want to just give you a little Harrods tip. If you spend 10,000 pounds there a year on your Harrods account, you get free parking underneath it. So that's a free parking place in Knightsbridge for 10 grand a year. I think that's not a bad deal. <laughs> that's that's
0: that's a, that's a good deal and and sort of you know let's say on a on the salary of someone working at a think tank. I mean a snip isn't it. Yeah, it's SNP. Especially, especially because it we were talking uh, really. we were talking as well about um, <laughs> yesterday Georgina that uh, the Economist Intelligence Unit uh, ranked Zurich the world's most um, expensive uh City now you coming from London? Um, have you been exposed to to any of that yet, or, or are you sort of in the c- c- cocoon of D ninety where you can just ask for a coffee? And-
2: exactly. I'm you know, <laughs> hey, I'm here on expenses. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. <laughs>
0: um, now, listen, Florian, we gave you uh, before we went on. We were asking um, for a variety of stories, and uh, they were all very, very local, very, very Swiss. Um, and uh, but maybe, and I said, listen, we do have you know listeners who are sitting in Auckland and and San Diego and Kyoto. Um, so they love Switzerland, but maybe they'd like something beyond uh, the borders of this country. Um, Did you find anything else for us? So beyond the border, we can talk
1: West Africa. So there is a piece, um, and we've talked around the table quickly, there is a piece in Enstead am Zontag about West Africa, Niger particularly, um, where we've had, I think, some four weeks ago now, a bit more maybe, um, a coup um, and and Russia has been involved, of course. So there is a there is an interesting uh, uh, piece on a tailor, and he's be, basically been very busy in the past weeks because he's been rearranging French flags to make Russian flags, because obviously it's the same three colours. And now he's basically complaining because business is going bad. People don't want the Russian flags anymore, because apparently there is quite some disappointment in the society and the protest movements that the Russians are actually not really there and they're not really taking over. And still, it hasn't really been clarified, you know. who who was um kind of behind that coup and so we were we're starting to move into this vacuum where the french are no, they're no longer there um yet the russians haven't really arrived and probably mm. they won't arrive either um and and so we're we're back in in these you know um, kind of almost uh, we say um, clan fights and, and, and the the article really makes a point it's essentially mainly about oil all the prices have gone up um, the only kind of lifeline the, con- the country so Niger has is that they have oil and they have one functioning refinery so that it gets them some foreign, foreign currency in and that's kind of you know back to basics and I think just like shattering again once again in a West African country shattering a lot of the kind of hopes and dreams that were you know kind of mingled in these Coup and this kind of hatred against the French, and not,
0: nothing really materialized. And not even for the not even for the tailor. It's a great piece of journalism as well, being told through the view of of this tailor. Uh, you're, you're sort of disassembling uh, or, or shredding the tricolore, uh, and then having to, of course, uh, reorganize uh, the stripes. It's a story that's sort of made for film. I'm wondering if if there's a, a, a mini documentary in the work, Dimita.
3: Yeah, so we do have an explainer on that actually available on our YouTube channel, um, if you want to watch it. But I did think of I did think of that story actually. Actually, when I saw the Monocle soft power ranking with France at the top um, because, yeah, it immediately with, with France and the issues it's been having in, in Niger um, it immediately made me think of that and made me think of how you know, the West has sort of made a diplomatic promise to many, many developing countries to help them in their development, that it seems to apparently not have quite fulfilled, or at least not to their satisfaction, because many of them are now looking towards Russia and China. And this is a prime example. And I'm I'm curious to see how, how this plays out um, in the following months and years.
0: Georgina, uh, maybe uh, the view from uh, a stateswoman who, of course, uh, came from uh Zimbabwe uh and uh, have now of course been uh certainly in in London and and, and Europe for a stretch how much soul searching do you think goes on because of course you know you, you see let's say a traditional c- colonial power leaves uh, you see uh, new influence or maybe it's also the same colonial power but under a, a, a new guise uh, still holding sway uh, they leave uh, someone new sort of comes to, to the party as well and when you speak to friends in Africa I'm wondering how much the conversation is yes uh, there's a need for foreign aid but also how much of it is also you know we need to also rally our own country people as well to pull up their bootstraps and and also say okay now china's here for example you know how good is that
2: Uh i mean you're absolutely right in that the the basically that the colonial power has changed but there is still a colonial power uh, and in Zimbabwe that's that's China I mean there are huge villages made up with pagoda style roofs and all sorts of things a lot of economic dumping going on also big Russian presence in the mining there and things what, what you're seeing is a country being plundered of its resources uh, unfortunately with the assistance of the government so the government is enriching itself themselves government ministers uh, and all of this money is fleeing the country and then of course the the poor people, the ordinary people, are being propped up by aid. And when you go back to, to that region uh, that you're talking about, Niger, Mali, all of that side, um, what you're also seeing there is, of course, um, Niger just suspended its uh, um, law saying that you couldn't do people trafficking across the desert. That is going to be a huge, huge problem for Europe now that, that people trafficking is actually legal again. So that's people crossing the Sahara. Yeah, and I think that, that more people died on that crossing than have done on, on small boats. It's, it's that initial crossing of the Sahara where bodies are just dumped along the way uh, and again because of, of, of the rows with the former colonial powers you've had people pull out you've had France pull out if you say uh, and and so it, these are countries in free fall if you look at the whole of that Sahel region from, from sea to sea there's barely a, a peaceful place there the terrible things that are happening in Sudan for instance but just looking specifically at Burkina Faso now. So what we're seeing is uh, that Le Monde uh, has been suspended from from there. Uh, Burkina Faso is ruled by the military uh, and there was a a deadly jihadist attack in the north of the country. Le Monde reported this uh, and uh, now all of the uh, correspondents from there and from Liberation uh, have been expelled. Uh, They've also suspended the French TV some some French TV outlets including France 24, Radio France International, uh, the magazine jeune afrique i mean it's just say so this is more than a colonial backlash this is also a clampdown on free speech but it's also just not wanting to have anything to do with with the former rulers and, and
0: this is also quite something for the likes of Le Monde as well who's really sort of gone out there uh and you know there's there's a sort of an an afrique edition uh, that they do uh, as well and and really sort of wanting to again establish and 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 build up uh, an infrastructure as well of course this was sort of le, the the african francophony Uh, to be able to report. uh, And and suddenly, if you don't have these voices, now many would argue, and of course, conspiracy theorists would say, well, you know, what is Agence France-Presse and what do these organizations have to do there anyway? These should be stories maybe told by by, uh, local African news outlets. I mean... but.
2: Yeah, I mean, of course, they should be. But it, and just to go back to my own history, the reason I'm in Britain, of course, is because I set up an independent radio station in Zimbabwe, which was shut down very brutally. And we had to flee the country. I've been made an enemy of the state. I can't ever go back there. Now, that was an example of Africans doing it themselves. And what happened? We get kicked out too. So it's not just the foreigners. It's about just complete denial of any kind of freedom of reporting.
0: I don't know where we go from our next story after, after that. <laughs> uh, I'm going I'm to throw it over to you. Uh, give, give you the the, the tough choice. Uh, what else have you seen in the papers? Uh, uh, anything else that that is uh, that has caught your eye?
3: I mean, uh, something you know that we've already uh, touched upon, but that that was that I've been following all week is is COP 28. Um, just because it seems like you know we had the conversation about how it was, um, it, there was some skepticism as to the location, but it does seem to be the case that. There's there's been a series of, of striking pledges and agreements that um, it seems to have started off on quite a um, optimistic note and um, you know for the first time ever there's been a there's been a pledge on um, richer countries um, actually aiding um, poorer countries with with uh, climate um, related uh, damages which which I think has been in the works for years um, you know there's there's been a pledge to um, combat methane emissions there's um, so th- I've I've sort of been following along. Um, that a little bit all week and feeling, I guess, vaguely, vaguely optimistic, even though I know, Florian, you said, you said, you know, they've, they've become too big and it's a lot of talk and no action or little action, but um, a tiny, tiny bit of good news, I guess, among the, um, among the, the rest of the headlines.
0: Lauren, oh, sorry, go ahead, Georgina.
3: I was just going to say, in, in terms of your criticism of them
2: becoming too big and, and if that's really getting anything done, I think that, that that what actually it is achieving though is this huge amount of publicity. There isn't a person in the world or in the world that's connected or still allowed to be connected to the media that's not aware of COP twenty eight and why it's happening. And I think that's just a, a, a big positive we can take from from what is a, a jamboree. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I mean, two 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 quick points, maybe. I think one is um, so uae and and dubai have been very um very smart about it diplomatically so it's only you know this is the culmination of a two-year effort typically at cop so basically the presidency you know has two at one one series year of preparation, and the good ones have kind of two, with one one before that. Um, and, and, and I think they've they've kind of done their jobs despite all the bad press of of um, of of course you know the links to the oil industry, and they've they've been able to announce the deal that you've mentioned, right, the the loss and damage deal, um, on the first day of the conference, which was which was a never never seen. So, I kind of, diplomatically, I think it's very um, very well um, very well managed, and um, on on substance, I think. You know, there's bigger point here of like, um, of course, climate change is kind of, is, a, is a global challenge, and we have to grapple with that as an international community. And I think, you know, what you've mentioned, Georgina, as in everybody now has to talk about it. We've really been on a like 20 year journey with that issue. And now we've come to a, a place where there are economic opportunities if you address it. And, and I think that's the big game changer. And there is a public opinion that is strong enough or a discourse that is strong enough where governments and companies cannot just, you know, back down and not do anything. So I think you know we might be late, we might be too late to the party, but things are moving, and I think that's that's indeed you know the the
0: the the uplift and the positive signs that that we're currently receiving. Well, um, maybe on the topic of uh, both uh, sustainability, but also talking about retail uh, a little bit earlier. I mean, Georgina, you've done uh, the rounds, of course, as you said, you've not hit um, every uh, single uh, vendor, but um, I think even not just this year, but over the years, of course, you've met uh, our our next guest, uh, Peter Hornung from from Round Rivers, uh, who has a very interesting not just uh, of course a uh yeah, uh, vend, uh, vending uh, operation downstairs. Uh, but we're talking more about uh, a business proposition, uh, and and one which is uh, you know does does many things. Uh, I think when we talk about you know what are the pledges that of course companies and brands make today, um, and when this is about uh, proximity to production, uh, you know miles travelled or kilometres travelled uh, in the supply chain. Uh, that's one aspect, uh, Peter, that you uh, of course uh, attempt to achieve. Uh, but also, I, I guess the other thing is also uh, you know turning some. Thing and then we'll, we'll let you expand on it a little bit more, uh, but it, into uh, a garment in your case, or garments, uh, which, yeah, which of course people also want to wear. It's not just that, oh, you're d- developing something uh, sustainable uh, and I feel good. At, yeah, I try to feel good about wearing, but maybe I don't look so great. Uh, that's not what you're doing. <laughs> uh, you're also making something that uh, that people, of course, want to throw on their backs. And good morning, by the way. Very nice to see you. But maybe I'm not sure if I set that up properly.
5: <laughs> Thank you very much for, Tyler, for having me. <clears throat> Yeah, so we source plastic from the river here in Switzerland directly by hand, let's say, and uh, we turn it locally into upcycled products. And this is kind of a game changer. Why? Because usually brands, they start with um, buying a fabric and produce a garment out of it. And what we do, we source um, our own raw material from the river. Therefore. You automatically have to have a transparent supply chain because you start with the raw material. And this brings, let's say, sustainability um into yeah, the whole the whole process of turning a pet bottle into a garment.
2: Mm. And I mean the garments themselves are absolutely gorgeous. I've been down to see your jackets, they're reversible. Yes. And inside it sort of feels like they're they're made of cloud. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Thank you for the compliment. Yeah, it, it's like you wear nothing, uh, although you wear a winter jacket. It's, um, we pay really highest attention that we achieve a comfort feeling. And we found uh, uh, what, what my goal is to work only with uh, r- materials that nobody else uses. So Riverways, for example, nobody uses. And we found um, a little slot in an uh, old clothing collector um, um, they they sometimes get you know back uh, old um, clothes where you cannot sale, uh, sell sell anymore so that's why they get burned and we said can we have it so um, the short um, answer is yes we can have it and now we turn it into into recycled down so we cut the jacket we wash it we sterilize it and then we filter that by air filtering by air has the benefit that the lightest down is on the very top and we only take the top ones and that uh, makes the very comfortable feeling I mean Pedro, you, you, did, you just missed
0: Florian's face when you said it's uh, it's really sort of like wearing nothing but wearing something He got so excited about that <laughs> what, what, what was the source of excitement I, I think I, all I, of our I, listeners want to know Florian I, so. need,
1: I need the fluff I'm, I'm just like I, I really thought I need the fluff and my second thought was like how like how? Where do you find the plastic? Like of all rivers in the world, you pick you pick the cleanest, Swiss ones. Like, <laughs> how, how much plastic do you find? He <laughs> yeah, said, like, yeah, the u- is unique pieces because you don't <laughs> find so much plastic.
5: Yeah, you only need you only need like fourteen to eighteen jacket uh, um, bottles for
0: a jacket, so it's oh, wow. quite a little amount. Is that a one liter or is that a two hundred and fifty centi or a, a, a milliliter uh, bottle? You're talking big bottles. That's that's like a one liter bottle.
5: Yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, and what I particularly like about it is it, it, this is all in. A around zurich it's all within a a
5: radius of 140 kilometers i
2: think so it's not just climate neutral this is actually co2 negative
5: yes exactly so usually river waste and also the down jackets that um brought back to the um old clothing collectors uh, they get burned and ends up in co2 right and we avoid that that's why we have kind of a negative um footprint because our um let's say the transformation from the pet bottle to the final garment um, emits less CO2 than the burning process or the incineration would cause. That's that's a lucky uh, coincidence, let's say, that, um, yeah. Mm. I mean, if we're
2: trying to get rid of plastics, though, completely in the world, is it right to be sort of introducing them back in this, in this way, having clothing out there made of plastic?
5: Yeah, I think that's a very uh, uh, um, interesting question because I think there's not the solution. I think there is there are many solutions and I think it's one way to go um, and collect plastics from the environment and turn it into garments into something which makes sense and of course um, I think using polyester only makes sense when you when you have a benefit let's say if you do swimwear in cotton uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if this is the goal um, but um, for other um, 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 for other, um, how do you say, fabrics or fabrics? It, it really makes sense. Yeah, for example, it's it's not really good to make a T-shirt which you have on an everyday basis um, out of made out of polyester. Mm. But um, it depends a little bit on on what is the goal at the end. If you do winter jackets, it's quite good to have. Um, this this cloudy effect that you um, just mentioned, and to have the performance of the fabric to be water resistant, very very light and breathable. So, and then in other cases, it's um, it's I think very important to avoid using polyester. Or in Florian's case, it's sort of how naked you want to feel, right?
1: Exactly. <laughs> uh, even in winter. I mean, I yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a fan of that feeling.
0: <laughs> uh, Peter, if uh, if people are listening and they want to
5: find your products, uh, you know, beyond uh, of course coming to our market, which is great. Uh, how do they find? you they found me they find me only um, online it's um, roundravers.com and uh, your ship around the world yes Okay, very good. <laughs> he says
0: with a little bit of trepidation. Uh, Georgina, just before we go, uh, you, you said you want to go and do a little bit of a spin around and look at some other stands today. I, and I then- do.
2: There's so much here to have a look at, and I'm hoping I'll get round everything. There is, of course, your stand. There's some beautiful decorative uh, things. There's a lot of ceramics. I've seen some gorgeous silk scarves, which I'm interested in, in having a look at. And also, you know, Tyler, it's about just the soaking up the buzz of the atmosphere.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, we're going to be cranking up the Christmas music. I think in uh, in a moment, at least in about a minute and uh, and thirty seconds from now. Do you have check-in luggage, Georgina? I just want to know, or, or not?
2: Absolutely not. My luggage is there. All right,
0: but I like am saying, street. but what if you go crazy on the happy hips? uh, uh dog food. That you you might have you might have to check in now.
2: Yeah, yeah, possibly, possibly, or, or just sort of secreted around my already ample hips. <laughs> and perhaps no more.
0: Georgina, you're going to be with us next week. Uh, of course, we'll be in London uh, for the Christmas market. Indeed,
2: it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun in London because we have real reindeer.
0: We have real reindeer. We have real Santa Claus uh, coming down from uh, Finland, which is uh, which is very exciting. I think this is Santa's probably 15th appearance or something like that, which is which is rather remarkable.
2: Yeah, I would love it. I always get to sit on his lap, which is fun for both of us.
0: Absolutely. Everybody's a winner. Uh, Florian Egley, <laughs> very good seeing you. Uh, Demita Presso from the NZZ, of course Georgina Godwin, my colleague Andrew Tuck, back in London. Uh, Desiree Bentley was looking after uh, of course the audio and many other things. Tom Webb, uh, of course, uh, our producer. Uh, and back in London, David Stevens also looking after the audio for us today. I'm Tyler Brule. I'm going to be with you uh, with my colleagues uh, in London next weekend, and we'll see you then. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye.